0: Hello there, and welcome back to Narcole, the Lonely Monster, Narcissist Escape Tools here on Anchor and uh, Spotify and Google Podcasts and, and several other podcast places where you can find podcasts. Yeah, podcasts. I mean, are they are they working? Does it work? I don't know. Um, this one, this is episode ten of um, season two. I decided to make many seasons but each one 10 long and I and if you if you have listened to this I don't know if you have noticed but each episode there is a there is a theme running through them Uh, be that from codependency or gaslighting or um, uh, you know grey rocking Uh, yeah sometimes you have to look for theme Uh, but the idea of the whole structure of it is for hopefully for people to listen to my inane rants about them would be abusers, um, narcissists, if you like, and uh, and for you to come to your own conclusions, really, rather than rather than sit there and listen to me tell you how it should be and how it is. Okay, so this is the introduction. This is episode ten of season two. This is the last one for this season. Season three is going to be entirely entirely uniquely live each time. Um, got some got some chatty guests lined up. For the next season, who are willing volunteers to come on and and share their experiences and hopefully um, grow the collective knowledge, really, of what it is to uh, endure such such abuses at the hands of uh, well, what what hopefully we're finding out are quite quite seriously uh, special people. Um, so yeah, quick uh, quick disclaimer. So I'm. I'm about to undertake um, a double degree in um, philosophy and psychology, and that that that's that's up and coming, starting in mid to late October. Um, as it stands, I'm a I'm an ex military medic um, with I think some some relative life experience, whether rightly or wrongly. Um, so I'm not a coach, counselor, or or, or psych shrink type. As of yet, um, but I hope to be in my future. Um, that said, uh, you might not agree with anything I say, and that that's entirely fine. But what I, what I would encourage you to do if you are hearing this is to not give up. If, if you hear one voice or read one thing or or you know go down certain paths and 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 it doesn't agree with your resonance, there's no there's nothing that clicks in your head with the person you're hearing or reading. Um, don't give up. That's that's all I'm saying is is keep keep forging a path forwards um, uh, until you do find the voice that you resonate with, or until you do find the examples that are unique to your situation, perhaps, and then you know you can grow a bond there over the airwaves, and hopefully, hopefully, that that'll lead you to healing. Um, yeah. So, what's the other thing I needed to say at the start of this? Oh, I've quit smoking. Hey, yay me. Um, so I'm on. Okay, it's only been about a week now, but it's been a few months building up to it. So I've gradually cut, I didn't smoke much, to be honest. There was you know, a pack of smokes, which was 20 in there. It probably last me three days, maybe four at a push. So, you know, I'm not a heavy smoker, but still smoking's bad, you no? Know? So there we go. So that's, uh, um, yeah. And also, also, if you hear any background noise, um, I do have a slightly alcoholic neighbour that lives below me. Bless his heart. But he's a bit stumbly, falls a lot. Um, he's a young guy as well, which is really quite sad. Uh, and these, the building I live in currently is made of paper, seemingly. So if you do a loud, sudden bang, it's not, it's not anything bad. It's just, uh, just someone's had probably a little wee too much of the old grappa, perhaps. Um, and what else in this intro? Oh yeah, this is entirely live. So we're going to cover one or two things. Um, first off. Uh, questions from Quora, and if you if you'd rather read things than listen to my dulled, um, broken tones, then head over to Quora. I'll put a link in the description, and you can you can take a gander there. There's some good reading going on. There's some good people there as well. To be fair, you might see um, a weird toxic element going on. If you if you are from Quora, you probably know exactly what I'm talking about. There's a battle of wills, should we say, going on between two very well entrenched um people or uh, groups really that are for my money's worth those poor poor bastards are uh you know codependent still recovering from their traumas perhaps and uh, blaming everybody around them and it's it's all got a bit pear-shaped so anyway if you do head over to Quora please try to ignore the toxicity that you might come across in those uh, narcissism recovery forums uh, Um, yeah blogs if you like and um, but do seek out other other writers there's some good people there some good people all right introduction over I'm going to play a very quick jingle like I say this is entirely live so I'm going to select a question from um, Quora Um, there may be a theme I don't know but this is going to be what it's like going forward and also if you're hearing this and you'd like to come on if you think you've got relative experience or you'd like to share your story for that cathartic release drop me a line drop me a line on Quora messaging or on here um it, i think there's a way to do that um and yeah and let's uh let's see where it goes anyway so I'm gonna play a quick jingle and then before we go on we're gonna culminate everything we've been talking about this last season and i'm gonna go on a little bit of a discovery with you and we're going to talk quickly, really, about the nine signs and symptoms, or the core features, if you like, of narcissistic personality disorder. Okay, be right back. Grandiosity excessive need for admiration, superficial and exploitive relationships, a lack of empathy, identity disturbance, difficulty with attachment and dependency, chronic feelings of emptiness and boredom, vulnerability to life transitions, and also significant risk factors for suicide and or suicidal attempts. That's kind of it. That's kind of like the nine symptoms and signs of narcissism. But there's a lot more to it, as we know, if you've experienced it. So when you see these written down in things like the DSN or online journals and whatnot, they are entirely accurate. They are right. But what they don't take into account is the other factor, the other human factor, and how a, a person with codependency, for example, can actually incite the, the narcissism in the individual. And how often, as I see it, how often um, narcissism or the narcissist comes out only really when an individual is emotionally challenged um, and that's when it's you know severely treated so let's break those down individually then those nine characteristics or core features and I will also switch over briefly to the long-winded and boring as but equally just as important the DSM and what is the DSM well it's the uh, it's the American um, <laughs> it, I always uh, its the—I always have to look it up because it does not stay in my head this but it is the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders the DSM the Diagnostic and Statist- Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders and it's basically the handbook used by um, healthcare professionals predominantly in the US and the United States and really much of the Western world as the authoritative guide to the diagnosis of mental disorders and again though as good as this is it does take out it takes away the other side the other human factor of the individuals that are affected by it who are I'm gonna I don't want to say complicit in the in which sounds wrong like I'm not saying that we are responsible for our own abuses because that would be disingenuous and sad but what I am saying is that as people majority majority of people who are affected by narcissism do have their own traumas as well, and you've got to go deep to kind of realize that and for example, I know that the 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 ex best mate I refer to often in my writing work across on quora and sometimes on this here podcast his cause and effect of his narcissism so he he rapes women abuses them, and steals money from them that's his m o and uses manipulative tactics to get himself rich whilst earning. You know, nigh on sixty, seventy thousand pounds a year in his own pocket, um, but he still has to feed his own habits of gambling and rich living, and to do that, he's got to steal from women, which is what he does. That's that's that's, that's who he is and, and and what he does. So, he had no cause and effect to me, and I don't think I influenced his behaviour, um, which shall we call it enabling, perhaps. But I also, on the flip side of that coin know the female covert narcissist i was in a relationship with i know my own mental health issues and my own issues in life um would have directly correlated with her narcissism and would have made things um you know a lot worse uh had i not been in that situation by the by let's break down the uh the nine signs and symptoms of narcissism and then we'll shift slightly into the more serious elements which are uh, it's another nine, a list of nine, but it's the things which might might ring true for you. All right, so the first obvious side of narcissism is grandiosity. Grandiosity. Now, you don't often see that in coverts, but you uh, definitely see it in overts. And that's, in its sense, really an exaggerated sense of self-importance, um, coupled with a feeling of superiority to others, and that perhaps that feeling that that one person deserves special treatment above and beyond anybody else um is pushing in front of a line you know in in a from the subtle pushing in front of a a queue at the airport or in a, a a busy bar or something to the to the outright temper tantrums that they have and feelings for the afflicted are often accompanied by really by fantasies of unlimited success of unlimited brilliance, power, beauty, or love, um, you know, they are, that I, I mean, I could easily, it, it, it will be in my book, and if you're interested in reading my book, it will be published quite soon, um, but it's, there are a collect a collection of emails and exchanges in there for, between myself and um, the two narcissists, the you know, de facto DSM tick box criteria, narcissists I know being my ex-best friend, and and an ex-lover of uh, only 14 months or so but the that that one line the, the, the fantasies of brilliance power beauty or love is is clear very very obvious in the communiques. Um, as is really the excessive need for admiration any and all narcissists generally must be the center of attention unless they're covert and this is this is where the dsm will tick in for the coverts but we're talking more overt here, but so they must be the centre of attention, and will often monopolise conversations. That's that's who they are. They they often monopolise conversations and steer a conversation. Now that the difficulty there is that can be misconstrued, can't it? You could have somebody who's just quite self-confident and who who's enthralled by the conversation, or who isn't um, um, who isn't monopolising it as such, but. You'll see in the narcissistic type, the monopolisation of conversations, is that they'll often make it about them. That's where the the twist is. Um, Yeah, and they'll often feel slighted, mistreated. I've been mistreated. Everything's wrong. Everyone's treating me horribly. Or depleted and enraged when ignored. Mm, Okay. So the third thing then really would be, the thing we're all here for I guess is that they often go through superficial and exploitive relationships and the relationships are based on um, just surface attributes and not not the unique quality of others they have no they have no cognitive dissonance there. they they don't um, you know they'll go out with someone or be with someone because they've got money or they're pretty or they've got a good job or they've got um, uh, access or they're successful in many other ways And people are only therefore often only valued only to the extent uh, that they are viewed as, as as long as they're viewed as beneficial to the narcissist, then they'll, you know, that's the superficiality of that relationship. And the most obvious thing, the fourth thing, which we know for a fact is a real one, is the lack of empathy. So. Speaks for itself, doesn't it? Severely limited or totally lacking ability to care about the emotional needs or experiences of others, even loved ones, even people they profess to love. Um, they have a very strange way of dealing or understanding what love is. What really makes them then is the fifth thing, which is they have a they have a disturbed identity. So this identity disturbance. Um, their sense of self is often highly superficial. It's very rigid and therefore often fragile like glass. It's why it's why the anecdotal thing of walking on eggshells, on tank mines, on on um mouse traps, you know, it's a it's a fragile identity that they hold. And if you slight them when they're already emotionally challenged, perhaps, by simply saying no often, then that is enough to break and crack that uh that fragility and that, that sense of self. Um, and that's really because their sense of self, their identity, their self-stability really depends on maintaining the view that they, that one, them, is exceptional. Um, it's, like, it's like doing this podcasting. If I had a whole raft of, or even on YouTube or in the Quora, if I had a whole raft of negative comments, I would really work hard to go through them to find the construction in them. To see where I can improve as a person, and I dare say a lot of these, a lot of people listening to this would be the same. Yeah, sure, you'd feel a little bit ah oh, like that in that moment, but you would you wouldn't crack like the narcissist, and you know like a like a pressure cooker. Um, and that and that's really because there's within that identity disturbance, their grandiose sense of self is is very easily threatened because it's not that grandiose. It's faux. It's fake. It's it's not real. It's it's uh, it's made up. It's you know it's a, it's a thing they've got in their head. Um, and a lot of times in um, in a healthcare setting, as I understand it, is that patients who who were presented say for other things that and it turn you you'll never knowingly really have a narcissist present to um, secondary or even primary healthcare because. They don't know often that they are a narcissist. So, during that during that voyage, that journey of discovery, if you like, if they've presented for an a another mental health issue, um, excuse me. So I'm drinking coffee and it makes me burp slightly, and it's all this not smoking thing is is uh, it's giving me terrible gas. So if if I say excuse me, like one apologizes, but so going back there, identities disturbances. So the in the healthcare setting, then. They'll, people who are presenting for other MH stuff um, one, of the, one of the keys that will show narcissism is they will, they'll retreat from or deny realities that challenge their grandiosity so they'll back away from treatment because, they're, because the treatment provider um, would be gently denying their grandiosity in, in you know, context and speakeasy stuff and it's, then it's an obvious sign for the healthcare professional. So the sixth thing then is they have difficulty with attachment and dependency. Duh, yeah, obviously. Um, a narcissist like, like like anybody really, I suppose, but more so, relies on feedback from the environment um, in that relationships only exist really to show up a, a positive self-image. Um, interactions are therefore completely superficial and any true and real intimacy is often, often sadly avoided. And the seventh thing then is chronic feelings of emptiness and boredom. So when attention and praise are not available, people with narcissism feel empty, bored, depressed, or restless. Mm. Also, then the eighth thing is there's a vulnerability to life transitions. So a narcissist has difficulty maintaining reality-based personal and professional goals over over time and compromises for example required by schools jobs and relationships may feel completely unbearable uh, to uh, somebody who's suffering from narcissism and then a young adult in the early stages of growing in narcissism may have that um, failure to launch thing Um, so they'll just be in a quagmire uh, of self-pity weird attachment and dependency issues and the ninth and saddest thing about it all is that often uh, anyone suffering from MPD is also a significant risk factor or has a significant risk factor for suicide and suicidal attempts you don't want to be that that person that you're listening to or read and that goes "Mm, I disagree with that Mm, but I do kind of disagree with that Um, narcissism narcissists coverts and overt's I, I think suicide even though they may suggest it or threaten it often i think it's the furthest thing from their minds to be honest and it's uh, the reason it keeps coming up in traits of narcissism is that it's a, it's the threat is always there because it's a means to a means to control so so hope that sinks in so let's just switch up a gear slightly if if any of that's um, sort of staying and let's just look at that, those nine things in association with the, the, the manual, the, the DSM five criteria of narcissistic personality disorder. So uh, the, the DSM describes it as, as such, it says a pervasive pattern of grandiosity in fantasy or behavior, a need for admiration and a lack of empathy beginning by early adulthood and pre- present in a variety of contexts, as indicated by five or more of the following so the person you know if the reason you're here listening to this or reading me online or reading my blogs or whatnot if the person has five of these nine key factors then chances are they're a narcissist now they could also be a sociopath they could also be a psychopath having if they've got all nine chance you need to really look then at what a sociopath is and see which boxes they tick in that so the first one as we said in the 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 nine traits um, are common things uh, but the first one is has a grandiose sense of self-importance so they exaggerate achievements exaggerate their talents they expect to be recognised as superior without commensurate achievements yeah, speaks for itself so if they've got that, tick a box second thing is they're preoccupied with fantasies of unlimited success, power, brilliance beauty or ideal love if they've got that, tick another box They believe that he or she is special and unique and can only be understood by or should associated with other special or high status people or institutions. Fourth thing would be that they require excessive admiration, obviously. The fifth thing is that they have a sense of this entitlement and unreasonable expectations of especially favourable treatment or automatic compliance within his or her expectations. And then the sixth thing is that they're in, they are interpersonally exploitative, i.e. they take advantage of others to achieve their own ends. And then the seventh thing, which really should be number one, but they lack empathy. They're unwilling to recognise or identify with the feelings and needs of others. The eighth thing is they're often envious of others, or believe that others are envious of them. And then the last thing on this list is that they show arrogance, arrogance rather haughty behaviours or attitudes. Now, be that as it may, the essential features of a personality disorder are impairments in personality, being self and interpersonal, um, functioning and and really in the presence of pathological personality traits. And that's the difference. Someone can be grandiose, someone can be preoccupied, someone can, can require excessive admiration once in a while. There's nothing wrong with that. We're all human. These are These are human things that we're doing. That list of nine isn't exclusive to narcissism, but the thing is that with a narcissist, it's a pathological personality trait. It's stuck, it's who they are. There's no, you can't tell them that what they're, you know, if if you said to a narcissist, oh, your need for uh, excessive admiration's a bit much, they'd have a meltdown and a narcissistic injury or rage. If you said it to someone not a narcissist, they'd probably go, oh, really? Am I being a bit much? Okay, I'll rein it in. There's a difference, there's a pathology a p- pathology to it, rather. Anyway, so, <clears throat> as well as that list there, they've got one or more of five, and oh, this is really, I know this might be quite boring, but it, it, it's building up to something. If it, if they got one of those five things on that list of nine, which we spoke about twice, they're more or less the same list, um, but to fully diagnose narcissistic personality disorder, then there are there's exceptional criteria must be met. So there must be significant impairments in their personality functioning, which manifest by um, uh, issues with identity and self-direction. So in the self-direction, goal setting is based on gaining approval from others. That's it, personal standards are really unreasonably high in order to see oneself as exceptional, or they're too low based on that sense of entitlement and often unaware of their own motivations. And their identity. There's there's always an excessive reference to others for self-definition and self-esteem regulation, and that's that's important because when they have their meltdowns, they are dysregulated. Um, there's always an exaggerated self-appraisal, must maybe inflated or weirdly deflated, or they could sort of vacillate between the extremes of emotional regulation, which mirrors fluctuations in self-esteem. So they must have. One of those two things, and a lack of or impairments in empathy and intimacy. So in the empathy, that's really self-explanatory, the impaired ability to recognise or identify with the feelings and needs of others, excessively attuned to reactions of others, but only if perceived as relevant to self over or underestimate of their own effects on others. And intimacy, which I know we've all experienced, then in that relationships are largely superficial and only exist to serve self-esteem regulation, as the mutuality is constrained by very little genuine interest in others' experiences and predominance of a need for personal gain. So if they're in a relationship to only gain something, something personally. Yeah. Goes on, actually, that... uh, On the grandiosity side clearly feelings of entitlement either overt or covert a self-centeredness firmly holding to the belief that one is better than others and therefore is condescending towards others then there's the other side where they're attention seeking there's excessive attempts to attract and be the focus of the attention of others or seeking admiration or people need to feel sorry for them etc anyhow the impairments in personality function and the individual's personality trait expression are um, can be relatively stable across time and consistent across situations the impairments in personality function and the individuals personality trait expressions are not better understood as normative for the individual's developmental stage or socio-cultural environment and then the impairments in personality function and the individuals personality trait expressions are not solely due to the direct physiological effects of a substance, such as drug abuse, medication, alcoholism, or a general medical condition, such as a severe head trauma. Wow. You should look this up. I will put the link to this, actually, in, in the description. Um, it's a very useful checkbox. So, And the reason I've gone over that for 20 minutes, oh, sorry if you are still tuned into this, but the reason I've droned on about that, if you like, for 20 minutes or more now, is that we often lots of people in society these days, online everywhere. My ex is a narcissist. Really? I mean, come on. Who is the narcissist? Is it you, is it them? Is it both of you? Is it neither of you? Because that, that that's a real situation. It's, the word is bandied around like uh, like ticker tape at affair, you know, it's not it's it's not a nice thing to be called a narcissist. It's gotta have it's gotta have value in it. And the importance for me, for whining about this for 20 minutes is that people shouldn't throw it around so easily because it really then does diminish what 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 abused people have actually gone through when they've been abused by a narcissist so it's one thing to sit there and say my ex is a narc uh, or narcissist when in fact in fact they're not what you're doing in that moment is that the person next to you that could be legitimately psychologically and emotionally abused by one their voice is lost because too many people are shouting from the rooftops they're a narcissist so it's important that we understand what what the the medical world and what the clinicians think a narcissist is versus our perception and our experiences of what we've gone through with a narcissist versus how we are around people and our own traits our own trauma our own past traumas and how that the cause and effect of what's happened in our lives how that affects others that we're interacting with now, um, be they a narcissist or not. The point of that really is that a severely codependent person could e- very easily um, make someone look like a narcissist by the tra- past trauma attributes brought into the presence of the codependent, equally traumatized person, their reactive, um, their momentary reactive things to emotional stuff. Could easily, uh, really, will highlight a narcissist, but also could make a normal person look like a narcissist. Um, uh, I know for a fact I've, I've, I've said about somebody in my life in my past that, that oh, they must be a narcissist. That was before all this. That was before I, before I experienced the two real narcissists who tick all the boxes in the DSM criteria. Um, And we've got it, you know, if you are listening to this, what what are the chances and and you're out there and I called you a narcissist briefly in the past, way back when, then I I do apologize thoroughly because I know what one is now and it isn't what I thought you were. And in fact, I know that my codependency probably would have brought out what could be uh, narcissistic traits, which doesn't necessarily mean that somebody's a narcissist they have to tick all the boxes or at least five of them in the DSM anyway wow 20 nearly 25 minutes on that so my apologies that was so long but it's really important because it's going to set the tone for the rest of the episode which is a few live questions and answers uh direct from Quora for people who need them um anyway quick jingle hope that landed um if not just play it back play it back and listen to it and and see where it goes all right I'll be back and we're back so welcome back and sorry about the interlude sorry about that 20 minute almost god it was just a, almost like a lecture wasn't it about about what is a narcissist but it lasted 20 minutes i do apologize for it was over 20 minutes um that resonated at all with you there was purpose behind it and the purpose really is to to try and um balance within ourselves and if you're listening to this and you're dealing with a narcissist, to try really to understand who they are, where they've come from, and what their main sort of mechanisms and outputs are currently now as a grown-ass um Apologies for the sound difference. I'm away at the moment. I'm in, I'm in England, at near Gatwick Airport, um, staying at my, um, my partner's parents' place, surrounded by lush countryside golf course really cool. It's very relaxed. Um, she's off out now with her kids, uh, taking them for a long walk with the dog that the dog's sitting for. And I'm um, and I'm here in the kitchen. So it might sound a little bit funny, a little bit echoey. Um, yeah, apologies for that. And I'll be slurping coffee as we go along, so I'm stood up in this beautiful massive kitchen, like a little bit overwhelmed by it all to be honest. Right, so live. This is all live. Questions from Quora that I'll try and do justice. By reading them out live scrolling through and finding them and then see where it goes see where it takes us see if I can understand what a narcissist is and see if I can if I do if I can impart any any knowledge if I can um, so the first one I'm not scrolling through for the first one the first one really is can we take care of the narcissism of somebody else can we take care of the narcissism of someone else well well give that a thought a second Can we take care of someone else's narcissism, in other words? Well, yes and no. Um, There's a lot of parables and paradigms, rather, with with regards to narcissists. There's a lot of um, yes and no moments. Now, if you picked anything up from the first section of this uh, episode uh, 10 of season two, um, apart from one of the main core characteristics of a narcissist is not having any empathy, and one of the one of the other characteristics of a narcissist, which isn't really, yeah, it's not really captured in the DSM, but it's there. And if you've experienced um, narcissistic abuse of sort of any sort, you'll probably experience you would have experienced this: is that your narcissist absolutely wants you um, to be responsible for everything that ails them. They they have no empathy themselves, and they they're like very similar. When they're emotionally challenged, they will be very similar to a toddler having a tantrum, and the reason for that, the re- and then they gaslight, which we label it as gaslighting. In fact, it's a, it's the inane brain of a of a preteen toddler, um, literally having an emotional breakdown. Because generally, that is where the damage was done. That's where they, that's where their trauma, be that physical or um, subconscious or conscious that's when it manifested for them that's when between the ages of 4 and 9 when they were learning and understanding as we all do at those ages or roughly those ages we learn and we understand where our our emotional compass if you like our moral compass our personality develops our understanding of love right and wrong really sort of comes to, uh, comes through at those at those ages and then they well, it's called the formative years really and then later on as we go into um, ten plus shall we say it's uh, it, it really sort of um, what you learn in those that space of between say four and nine roughly anything after that then is 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 firmly cemented so I just I sounded like a went off a bit then a cat just came through the cat flap and made me jump I Thought I was alone and then there's a, there's a cat now staring at me hello cat okay yeah, he, yeah, she's off upstairs to do her thing. So, those are those formative years. And those are the years where the trauma is inflicted on the narcissist. And then when they're emotionally challenged as an adult, that is where they digress back to. In those formative years, one thing they've learned is that, that somebody else... And I think you can take this to the to the bank, really. That somebody else is always going to be responsible for their emotional... Regulation, so they can't regulate their emotions as an adult, because what they learn when they're younger is that somebody will regulate those emotions for them. Somebody will step in. If there's a narcissistic parent with a, a partnered up or married to um, an empathy codependent type, that empathy codependent type who will be equally as abused as the narcissist, uh, the, the, the child of the narcissist, that codependent empathy laden parent will be. Rushing in and feeling responsible—I mean, quite rightly so in many respects—but will be rushing in and feeling responsible that the child of the narcissist, the other partner, um, doesn't have to endure what they're enduring. And they'll swoop them up, pick them up, hug, hug them, and and be all all in loving, whether right or whether wrong. So the analogy there really is the kid in the candy shop. And I've got—I've said this many, many times. Is that the kid in the candy shop whose one parent's a narcissist, one parent is not a narcissist, so codependent empathy type, equally abused because their partner's a narcissist. If the kid wants a chocolate bar in the shop, um, mum, a narcissist might turn around and say, no, you'll get fat, your teeth will rot, you'll get spots when you're older. No, you can't have chocolate, absolutely not. And the kid will start crying. Narcissist mum will will double down and be embarrassed by the tears. Of, what are you crying for? Stop crying. This is ridiculous. I've just said no, just no, no. And the kid, because they're a toddler, will keep crying. Maybe they're five year old, six year old, seven year old. Um, will just keep crying. And then narcissistic parent will turn to the other one and just say, "You sort this out. This is embarrassing." And the the codependent empathy laden perhaps father or mother equally um, could just as easily buy the kid the chocolate bar because what does that achieve well it keeps the abuser quiet the narcissistic mum I mean he might get it in the neck later for actually going against her wishes you know I mean so it's a broad analogy really but if she's usually narcissism and and the actual narcissist is is about self isn't it so in that moment, the narcissist is embarrassed because the kid's crying. There's an out there. Uh, they, they, they need self-soothing. They need soothing as well by somebody. So narcissist, mum wants the, her embarrassment to be taken away. Her, dis- her She's dysregulated at that point. Sort it out, husband. So the husband just buys the kid the chocolate. The kid stops crying. The husband feels, you know, infused because he's done something right and everybody in that moment is happy. But what we've got left with is a child who doesn't understand right from wrong. From the start and only knows that when it's crying somebody will come along and somebody will help it which is the soothing element so can we take care of someone who is narcissistic or can we take care of the narcissism narcissism of someone else well the yes side is there because you can you absolutely can if you want to be an emotional punching bag because the difficulty with a narcissist is we don't know where that emotional dysregulation is going to take place. You could just as easily say there's not enough salt in the sauce that they've made or you could, um, you know, uh, offend them somehow with a lame joke or not not wanting to watch what they want on the telly or not doing their bidding or not doing something that they want you to do. Um, and they therefore then turn on a dime because it's, you know, it's upset them, it's triggered them from the past moment and you're now to blame as equally as much as you're to sort it out and take away their pain and suffering. If you can endure that for literally a lifetime or for as long as you plan to know a narcissist, then yeah, yes you can. You can absolutely take care of somebody else's narcissism. But I'm telling you now, those deeply entrenched narcissistic types, you can't endure that. You can't keep giving. You can't keep being the effervescent um, soother, the effervescent love giver to a person that has no regulation themselves. It is nigh on impossible. So overall, I'd say the answer to that is can we take care of the narcissism of somebody else? No, absolutely not. And people that have tried, people that have stayed in those dynamics, you're out there, I know you are, because I've spoken to you before. I've spoken to people on this channel, uh, on my Quora channel and via some YouTube stuff in that they've been in 40 year marriages with the type, 40 years of an, another adult in their life having a basically a temper tantrum whenever they don't get their own way and that person having to step in and literally pick up the pieces and soothe them and mollycoddle them and there, there, there. And a lot of that is actually just another adult taking the blame for something somebody else has done. Because then we come on to things like projection, uh, disvalidation and, and all the gooey, nasty stuff that goes along with what is a narcissist. So can we take care of the narcissism of somebody else? Yes, if you want to be a punch bag for the rest of your life. And no, really strongly no, because, well, there you go, you will be a punch bag for the rest of your life hope that makes sense hope that lands quick jingle when you do the next one be right back well hello hope the jingles aren't doing your tits in too much sorry that's bad language um So I'm back. I've had a bit of a break, really, from it. Um, I started doing this episode and then stepped away to look at moving home and setting up my charity. Um, There'll be more in season three, um, if you're still with me then. And hopefully, season three, we'll see some um, cool interviews with some cool people, all of whom have gone through or are going through the very thing you're facing right now. So this episode is going to be over an hour long and I, I make no apologies. It's the last one of this season and I've enjoyed it. I've enjoyed putting all this together and, um, you know, probably making a mockery of myself and my own knowledge. Um, of which I need to express, I don't profess to have that much knowledge. I just look at things in a, I don't know, maybe a sensible, well, I don't know, it might not be, who knows. But these are some of the unanswered questions that I'm going to quick fire off my space on Quora. If you don't know what the space is or you haven't seen it or read it, um, take a look at Quora, Narsol, Lonely Monster. Here we go. So, um, uh, a narcissistic abuse survivor, that's their, that's their profile name, uh, asked the question What are the key challenges associated with co parenting with a female narcissistic ex? Very good question. And the answer is that your ex, you're co parenting with a narcissist. That's the challenges. If you want it to be broken down, there's no need. We we, we often overthink these things when it comes to narcissists um, and look for means and ways around their, you know, mitigation for who they are and how they be and how we can manage them. And that, you know, that is the right thing to do, but don't overthink it. Don't overcomplicate things. So one of the key challenges, really, I suppose, when, so- when co-parenting with a narcissist, any, whether it's female or male, um, no... no st- narcissistic abuse knows no sex uh, gender or um, cultural differences it's the same the world over so i suppose one of the key challenges therefore is that they are a narcissist you know so anything you do is um is emotional to them it's a challenge and as we know from everything i've lurbed on about over the last several months um is that a narcissist is only really a narcissist when they're emotionally challenged and you've got to in this instance co-parent with one Um, and that co-parenting being a parent is probably quite an emotional challenge for any and all narcissists Um, and it can go one of two ways it can either be their unemotional self because they recognize they've got those burdens and responsibilities of parenting and they perhaps they can reflectively it's unlikely but perhaps they can reflectively look back on their own childhoods if you like where they were really abused by a narcissistic parent or two that kind of generally how they, how they are made, um, they might be mindful of that. There might, there might be something in there, in their heads. I know one or two in my life, in my past as well. And, and to be honest, I, they're relatively good parents. I've seen them doing their thing. There's narcissistic evidence in their parenting styles, granted, but overall, there must be something in their noggin, something in there that's a little, a little switch of maybe not making the same mistakes, as their own parents did, if that was in fact the cause of their narcissism. So, challenges wise, it's really the emotionality of it. And you've got to co parent with um, a verbatim attitude, really, in that you've got to um, be forthright for your wants and needs. At, you know, circumspectly, at the, the forefront of all that is the needs of the child, but how you parent will be entirely different to a narcissist, I guarantee it. Um, So you need to be forthright with your wants and needs as a parent and how you see the the child growing up. All too often and more so over the last probably the last two months or so I've met I've met people who are in these dynamics. They are trying to co-parent and these are good empathy laden, full on, you know, often codependent, but types of people that are co-parenting with a narcissist and they often they often find that the kid will come home, say, from a weekend at daddy's or long weekend or they co-parent week on, week off and the kid will come home and be an absolute nightmare for a day or two because they've got they, they they're not getting that emotional regulation. So if anything really co-parenting with a narcissist is hard, granted, but you've got to stay focused and you've got to always rise above whatever bs that they're throwing your way and always try and find a compassionate kind way to I don't know, re-educate, I suppose, is a, is, a fun, is, a, is a good way to say it, I suppose. Well, it's not a great way to say it, but to, I guarantee if you're co-parenting with a narcissist, your kid will come home from their the stayovers at weekends and they'll be likely either down in the dumps because they're just so confused because of the emotional dysregulation coming from the, the narcissist themselves or they'll just be an absolute um, nightmare child and, and, and reasonably hard to uh, to work with. So you've got a, you've got a grey rock, everybody. You've got to grey rock, the other adult, the other parent, certainly, and you've definitely got. So you definitely got a grey rock, the other adult, and you've got to consider um, an almost uh, child approach to grey rocking with your child, um, and it depends on their age, of course, as well. You know, if it's a toddler, um, the, the, the difference between the two, between your parenting style, that there's um, one of the things I would say is that. People often, because they know they've been in the relationship with a narcissist, and then they're in that co-parenting stage. So they know how abusive the other person is, the other parent. And then when the kid comes home, they'll generally jump into full-on empathy mode and giving the kid everything they want, because they might not have got that attention and that love from the narcissistic parents. But guess what, folks? That makes a narcissist. That will absolutely make a narcissist. You've still got to be a responsible and reasonably balanced parent. When you when you have your time with your um, in your co-parenting existence with your child, you've still got to lay the boundaries. You've got to be loving yet firm, you know, firm but fair type of deal. And you've absolutely got to try and again. It depends on their age, but you've absolutely got to try and help the child understand the woes and the troubles and the trauma, perhaps um, through gentle means of what your ex or the other narcissistic parent had gone through as a child themselves to make them like they are. the do-nothing approach, the do-nothing attitude approach is, is quite dangerous in this respect because if, you're, if the child is going away and getting dysregulation from the other parent, the narcissistic parent, and coming back and all is normal, and you just sort of, you know, let it go over your head, ignore it for a day whilst they're being a menace, and then day two or three, they've calmed down back into normality, and then off they go again another week or two weeks later, back to the narcissist, and they come back traumatised, and, and that's it. It is traumatising your child. So you've got to find common middle ground. And one of the key facts with it is any decisions with when co-parenting with a narcissist, really have, the, have your um, communications about the child or children done through email. It serves many purposes. The first and foremost, there's evidence there. You can't backtrack on what they say in an email. And it gives you time to focus in on what the important factors are in that conversation. We've all been there, everyone, with the narcissist. where you're trying to get your points across. They're stuck in their narcissistic rage or they've just they've been emotionally challenged by your, by your challenge. And so they're back to toddler state themselves with their rationality and emotional dysregulation. And then, and then you get the word salads. And before you know it, you're in a full-blown argument and you've no idea where the kids spend in the summer holidays. So really try and, if you can, I, in fact, I'd say insist, on any comms with um, a narcissist in the co parenting thing, um, any in fact, if you're dealing with a divorce, there's no kids involved, there might be an animal involved, or just you know, finances and divorce or, or whatnot, break everything down, all your communications down to email only. The very best thing you can do is that because it focuses their mind in as well. You know, they, they're not going to go on a word, they might. I mean, they might. I know, I know one I was dealing with did one on an email word salad rant, 1,600 emails later, you think, hmm, gosh. Um, so, so some of the extreme sides will still rant in an email, but from the email, you can probably pull out the important salient parts. So key challenges um, is that they are a narcissist. Clearly, that is a challenge. You know you were with them. You had a child with them, married to them, perhaps. And so you want to grey rock the, the, the other parent and grey rock using email only. And keep an eye on the child. The child is the critical key here. The critical factor is that child is at some point, depending on their age range, they're gonna be struggling because they're getting perhaps a balanced parenting style from yourself and then an incredibly emotionally dysregulated parenting style from the other parent. Anyway, hope that helps. Uh, Let's see. Uh, If it does, drop me a line in below or drop a comment on the the actual question in Quora. Um, I'll post this link there now. Cheers. Going to move on to another one. Okay, the next question, unanswered, which is, it's been, uh, it's been on the, it's been on the Quora space for a while and nobody's answered it. It's probably because it's such a, I don't know, is it hard? Let me read it. So if NPD, Narcissistic Personality Disorder, is caused by genetics and environment, can someone develop NPD if genetics is taken out of the equation? If NPD is caused by genetics and environment, can someone develop NPD if genetics is taken out of the equation? So, yes and no. One, there's a supposition in there that that genetics and environment are the causation of NPD. Yes and no genetics wise there is um, there is new science out there with brain imaging and the likes that show different um, it's more pertinent to psychopaths to be honest but they show different sort of regions of the brain are active when they're being mean or when they're seeing some grotesque images or and there's the same, it's the same area of the brain that enacts when a normal person neurotypically or empathy laden person um, sees you know something pretty or cute or some goodness or something. Um, when the psychopath, maybe even sociopath, when they see something horrible, um, th- that same area of the brain uh, sort of ignites, if you like. So there, there are genetics at play in a to a degree. Environment certainly, but NPD, for my money, is is trauma based. Is purely trauma based. Um, for example, it, like you would, you could say. And the correlation is there, though, isn't it? And that's why we go, like, oh, it's genetics. Because generally, if you've got a narcissistic parent or two, the likelihood of the child of those two is going to end up being a narcissist and all, or severely codependent. And the reason I say that is because if it's one narcissist in a, in a familial sense, husband and wife, and let's say the wife is a narcissist, that wife is abusive to the husband who, let's say, is codependent. That's why he's ended up with a narcissist, right? So they, have, they copulate and end up creating a little baby. So the baby is born, and just because it's born of a narcissist and codependent doesn't mean it's literally torn between the two. Which way do I go? Because then the, the environmental factors and the nature versus nurture comes into play. Generally speaking, the treatment of that child, how that child is treated when it's growing up, how it's, how its moral compass is instilled in it, will decide how that child reacts to emotional dysregulation or regulation as going through puberty and onto adulthood. By example, and I always use this basic, basic analogy, but it's the chocolate shop analogy. It's a chocolate bar analogy, rather. You've got the narcissistic mum, the equally abused codependent father, and right in the middle of them is a five-year-old kid. And the kid wants a chocolate bar off the shelf. So the kid's like, I want the chocolate bar. Mum, a narcissist, is like, no, you can't have it. You're going to get fat or your teeth will fall out. This alarms the five-year-old would-be narcissist child who starts crying and having a meltdown because that's what it does. It knows that something good will come from it. Um, So that happens and the narcissistic mum is enraged. They're in the middle of a shop and the kid's having a meltdown over a chocolate bar or candy bar. Turns to the the codependent abused dad and says, you must sort this out. Sort, fix this, fix your child, get it done. Dad just buys the chocolate bar. Right, fair enough, the kid... Is settled. The kids chilled. The mama's chilled, even though she said no. But he'll get his later. But he thinks he's done the right thing because he's codependent to everybody. Remember, not just not just his wife. Um, but fundamentally, in that in that basic of examples, the kid learns nothing. All it learns is that when I have a tantrum, when I cry, no matter the causation, somebody will, somebody will come along and soothe me, whether that's buying the chocolate bar or um, has done something actually wrong. You know broken an ornament at home and the mama's screaming, oh you idiot, you've broken my inheritance from my nan and and the kids wailing, crying, sent to its room, codependent dad would just probably go out there and just soothe the child, you know, calm it down and it's okay, let's wrap you in bubble wrap, keep you away from everything. So for that child, for example, there might not be a naughty step, there might not be a place where they can go and learn to self-soothe and within that construct their moral compass is formed and the thing that's missing is, well, a misunderstanding of love, really, right from wrong. And above all else, they can't self-soothe. Okay, so if MPD is caused by genetic environment, can someone develop MPD if genetics is taken out of the equation? Yes, absolutely. From child-based trauma or late-based trauma. Now, what do I mean about that? So, if, if our moral compass is formed between the ages of, say, 4 and 9, you can weigh in a few years, say 4 and 10, 4 and 12. Certainly from the age of 4, probably up to the age of about 12 in boys, maybe 9 in girls, because they're more emotionally mature at a younger age. Um, our female counterparts, that is. And then that person could have a perfectly normal childhood. Loving parents, abundance, um, balance. Um, and then I suppose that... The, the terrible example and if this happened to anybody and you listen to this you know I don't mean to trigger you or upset you but let's say one of those parents passes away suddenly and that kid is then left with maybe that parent was the person that was providing that moral compass maybe that parent was the person that balanced their love so they didn't self, they didn't soothe the kid they the kid was taught to self-soothe to a degree up to a point and then the parent was taken away from them so let's say that happened at the age of 13 right right on the cusp of um instilling what they've learned between the ages of eight uh, four and nine right on the cusp of modulating that throughout their lives and getting to a point of their own understanding of their own emotionality and their own being um if they had late onset trauma um you know significant trauma like the loss of a parent as a kid tragic absolutely devo um there's no, there's, there might not be any coming back from that other than really good counselling and and strong interpersonal relationships with other men in their life or women or, you know, whichever parent passed away. Um, so, yeah, can someone develop MPD of genetics taken out of the equation? Absolutely. And I'm, I think as well, from my own perspective, I was severely codependent, like really codependent. and I had PTSD from my work in the military as a medic. Um, and it was, you know, I, for a few years, I was a bit of a deplorable, really. Um, I was, I recognize that my codependency, and this really is a thing, my severe codependency made me uh, one or two things, maybe incredibly altruistic, but also borderline narcissistic. Um, so the shady things I did in the name of self, which could, which, you know, if you sat back and I told you what I The example, one or two things, you know, like an idiot, as we all make mistakes, um, they were probably, it would look narcissistic. Um, So, and and the reason I've mentioned that is because some, because people go, well, their parents are really lovely and they seem to be a narcissist. Well, yeah, they can be, but that doesn't mean they're, they seem to be narcissistic rather. And yes, they can be, that doesn't mean they're a narcissist. And that's a big thing in this world at the moment. Everyone's quick to jump to that label. You're a narcissist. Well, not necessarily. They could just be severely codependent, BPD, borderline personality disorder, or they suffered late-onset late trauma, perhaps, loss a parent or otherwise, you know, car crashes, things like that. And they may just very well be narcissistically treated because of their earlier traumas. But fundamental and key to all of this is that if a child is born and the parenting is balanced, on both sides it's harmony equilibrium love and you know for the firm but fair approach um chances are they're not going to end up a narcissist like really they're not it takes one of the parents to be a narcissist but that does not mean that that parent has passed that on to the kid through their genealogy that parent has passed it on to the kid through their actions through who they are and how they parent um that was a bit of a waffle but i hope that somehow helps um If MPD is caused by genetics and environment, can someone develop MPD if genetics is taken out of the equation? It's not all about genetics. Anyone can develop MPD if they suffer enough trauma in childhood and don't learn right from wrong or a moral compass or how to self-soothe. Hope that helps. Okay, jingle jingles. Um, oh, here's a name I haven't seen for a while. Uh, I'll say them on here, I suppose, but that's you know, public. And it's going back on course. So, Ann Smith. Very, very good question. Is narcissism really that insidious and deliberate? I struggle to believe that my boyfriend is that devious, and sometimes wonder if it's just years of maladaptive behaviour. Yes, it can be, and no. So let's let. Let me scratch. Go back. Go back. Go back to the start of this podcast and listen to the first. um statement if you like about what is a narcissist because I for one I'm on the I'm on the side of I don't I think the actions of a narcissist are clearly deliberate all of our actions are anything we do is deliberate because we're we're making an informed choice or a choice to do an action to do something so it means what well, you're getting at there is is are are the heinous things they do insidious and deliberate and that again is like a yes and no thing, isn't it? So that a narcissist is um, grown, really, through their own childhood, child, childhood sort of based um, trauma effects. Not learning right from wrong, not having a moral compass, um, a, a misunderstanding of love. In extremes, you either love me or hate me, and if you love me, it's unconditional type of thing, and they decide which which degree you're on. Um, and above all else not being able to self-soothe. So it isn't deliberate and that's the thing that's the thing you need to take away is that it's a personality disorder. So it's not like it's, it's not like it's not like when I f- felt like I was perceptively and subjectively abused, it's not like I can at the time I'm thinking and it's easy to do this and I get this at the time you you'll do well to think, well, they're making a choice to be like that. They're plotting and planning. They're lying all the time. They know exactly what they're doing. And no, no, that's a psychopath or a sociopath. A narcissist is a narcissist when they're emotionally challenged. Um, and and the, thing, the thing to look at is, is um, like you say, you struggle to believe that your boyfriend is devious and sometimes wonder if it's just years of maladaptive behaviour. Well, it could be, but that maladaptive behaviour could make them narcissistic um, by the very definition in the DSM. So the thing to do is to work out whether he's a narcissist or not. And the thing to do is discover if he's got empathy. If he doesn't have empathy, he's a narcissist. This is straightforward. Uh, take all the other shenanigans he does out of the equation. If he's got no empathy, and what I, what I mean is don't, don't sit there and go, well, he doesn't care about me, so he hasn't got empathy. I mean, you might just be another form of supply, to be perfectly blunt. So look at the bigger picture, look at his lifestyle, look at how he is around children, animals, um, how he is in the workplace, how he is generally when it comes to giving a shit about somebody else or caring about somebody else or having empathy. What is he like? What's his relationship like with his parents as such? So really, and the other thing is you're referring to this person as your boyfriend. So if he is insidious and it's deliberate or if he is insidious, his actions and you're correlating that with either narcissism or maladaptive behavior, I mean, why the hell are you with him? You need to have some sort of self-worth, I think, I would say. You need to have some sort of resonance that, that you're worth more, some of your parts is worth more than what he's giving you. And then kind of really wake up and sort of step away from it, which is starting to do, I can sort of feel that in your question line, is it starting to step back and look in, look from an observer point of view and go, hmm, is he narcissistic or is he maladaptive? Either way, does it matter? Does it matter if he's treating you poorly? It really doesn't. Doesn't matter if he's maladaptive, narcissistic, sociopathic, psychopathic, or just occasionally a douchebag. If he's treating you bad and it's driven you to the point of coming onto a a, a question and answer database and asking that question, um, you must understand that the likelihood is that your relationship is is rubbish. And you need to take some action, I think, to some self-care, self-worth examinations and decide if you want to be treated maladaptively or insidiously by the person you're referring to as your boyfriend. Hope that helps. Sorry to be so blunt. Catch you in a second. Okay, last one of season two Boosh, there Thank you all for listening and joining in the Conversation on Quora in particular um, After this I'm going to concentrate for a few months Maybe a month On uh, some YouTube in So if you want to see my my mug on, a, across, on the YouTube Doing pretty much the same thing as this But with a slightly more Grown up stance I think Or probably less, perhaps, you know I don't know which way it's going to go um, but do consider coming across to Narsoul the Lonely Monster on YouTube, subscribing there, and um, I'll be releasing loads of content over... I've put some stuff together already, some sort of episodic, um, sort of movie-esque stuff, if you like. Um, and I'll be releasing that over the next couple of months. Um, so the final question comes from a, a good questioner, Neil Hoofs. Hoofs, hoofs. Um, And he asked, in a perfect world, how would narcissistic people be handled? Like sending them to a special psychologist, hospital or other? Well, Neil, for my money, I think all narcissists really should be lined up against a wall and shot, certainly hung publicly. And that's the only way to deal with them. I mean, what are we asking here? What are we suggesting that there's two tranches in our civilization, some are narcissists, some are not. And the ones that we go, you're a narcissist, we should send them to hospital. Like, they think we're the nut jobs. That's the thing you've got to get across into your head. They think we're the problem. Um, If you've experienced narcissistic abuse by a narcissist, that person still right now, despite all your tears and proofing and fact finding and evidence stuff, they think that you're still the problem. And that, so as far as they're concerned, we should all be sent to hospital because we're the gaslighters in that respect. We're the ones that have lied to them. We're the ones that have manipulated them because it could never be them because they have a personality disorder, which is delusional, which means their version, their own version of self is held in higher esteem than anything that anybody could ever be with them or how close to them. So there is validity in your question and I mock it, but in a perfect world, how would narcissist people be handled like send into a special psychologist hospital? No, not at all. Um, the other, I'd say, is that. Oh, sorry, my phone beeps. Don't know if you heard that. I was annoying. Gosh, um, it, it, it's the other thing for me. Is that there's no you can't you can't segregate someone as a narcissist because only only a clinician can really diagnose narcissism. That's a you know, a, <coughs> excuse me, at the very least, somebody that's really experienced it and gone deep on the understanding of it and understand themselves first before they can turn around and go that person's a narcissist um so i think it's the other in the perfect world in that education resources apply to people who aren't narcissistic will surely filter out the narcissist from society from from the normies if you like So if you're empathy-laden, sorry, if you're empathy-driven in all you do, you give, you care, you love, in harmony and in balance, and you've got boundaries and you look after yourself and others, and you're able to be kind and courteous and decent to all those that you come across, um, then there's everything to gain from learning and understanding what a narcissist is and then avoiding them um, in the first place. Uh, and then what does that do? Well, wider knowledge of narcissistic traits and narcissistic tendencies will only ever put the narcissist or pitch the narcissist against narcissist, wouldn't it? So in an ideal world, if we all understood what a narcissist was, you're then making an informed choice to be with a narcissist if you end up with one. The likelihood is, if we all understand and fully know what a narcissist is and the cause and effect that being in a relationship with them has on our own mental health, well-being and finances and future, you know, self-esteem and everything else, um, we'd avoid them, wouldn't we? Absolutely avoid them at all costs, leaving the narcissist to only chase after the narcissist. What happens then? You might then have a second tier of awakening. So the first tier is all the neurotypical empathy people waking up to their own codependent traits, understanding how they influence or become attracted by and to a narcissist, leaving them alone and in the midst and just dating normal people who give a care about others. Um, The narcissist goes off and and tries to ensnare an equally narcissistic type of person who could be more or less a worse type of narcissist. That person who, who, you know, you could just say, oh, that my ex is a narcissist, could date a worse one and end up going, oh my God, I've really seen the light. I understand who I was, how I was. I was like this to my ex-boyfriends and all those in the past. And therefore that person is a narcissist and I can learn about narcissism, hopefully understand more about themselves and then develop coping mechanisms and understanding to perhaps think in the shoes of, or walk in the shoes of another as they should have done in the past when they were abusing and disabusing people of what is real love. So in an ideal world, no, you can't just shovel them all off to the concentration camps or the gulags and be like, you're a narcissist, you're going away. Going away, mate, you can't do that. That's not right. That's not morally right, is it? Um, in an ideal world, education and resources apply to everyone else's knowledge that isn't a narcissist. will filter them out and uh, they will then just literally find themselves. Uh, my hope then is, again, it's all ideal world placated, but my hope then is that through that education of everyone else because the narcissist really can't learn I suppose or adapt or change but it will and I'm not suggesting oh it'll be a nice two-tier society that's not what I'm after that's not what I'm thinking I'm thinking that just anyone that's got love and abundance and empathy to give into the world doesn't need to be abused uh, there's no reason for them to be abused. Sure, it's part of the pathway to awakening, I suppose, and realizing one's own limitations and going deep on yourself to understand perhaps the cause and effect we've had on others in our past life uh, or in our in our past. I mean, I know, I know, I have. Um, and so, yeah, um, I think to tie everything off in this last season, uh, season two, is that what I'm developing and going into in in is. Um, seer principles, S-E-R-E. It's a military acronym, and, it, and in the military as well, it stands for survive, evade, resist, and escape. And I've adapted those principles into um, real-time uh, sort of lessons and knowledge of how to manage, so how to survive in a narcissistic relationship, how to evade a narcissist and resist their temptations, and above all else, how to escape one when you're in it. Um, and that's all gonna be pretty much the raft, the whole bulk of the next season on this and the YouTube, excuse me, and the YouTube upcoming uh, YouTube um, efforts. I'm gonna apply myself more to that and with my writing and obviously the narcissistic narcissist escape tools um, net um, on on the world wide web. Um, so yeah, ending rounding off there if any of this resonates if you think if you think what I've got can help you, Um, And if the survive, evade, resist, and escape sort of principles, even now, just just using the acronym, if that sort of gives you a bit of a, ooh, that sounds sounds like it could work, um, then do head over to my other platforms. So Quora, um, Facebook even, just Narsol the Lonely Monster on Facebook, come and join in our group, um, join the page, like the page. and what I'm trying to do is grow that knowledge. That's it. simple. Grow that knowledge. Uh, the website, the focus of the website is to um, raise money, actually, and to start a non-profit charity for those less able who, who want to do the escape part of the SEER principles. Um, full educational resources applied to them, but people can have money given to them. And that, that's my aim, to make a non-profit to help people really escape abuse, emotional abuse, whether that's at the hands of a narcissist or otherwise. Um, so, yeah, I'm not asking you. It's all free. I'm not asking for money. Just um, I'll get that from corporations. Absolutely. So what I'm suggesting is come on over. See if you like it. Think about joining in the conversation. Be brave. Take the leap. Look after yourself above all else. Um, and, yeah, give to get this far, one, listening to my drones going on through all these episodes. And um, hopefully if you've learned anything from my experiences and your own and pulling it all together in these Uh, long podcasts then well done and seriously well done and you do deserve and I don't mean this to sound patronising you do deserve a really big pat on the back you're opening up you're awakening to what your potential is versus their potential which is they're never going to have potentiality they're just going to sit there and likely fester in their own remorse not even remorse just their own contrived idiocy really so yeah, if this reach if this has reached you wherever you are in the world, uh, you're in my thoughts and prayers, and um, yeah, onwards to season three. Thank you for listening. Take care. Play us out, Nelly.